turn, if you would, to Joshua chapter 3. Joshua chapter 3 this morning, and you know when we've been able to share time together, as Pastor Ray's been out on occasion, uh, we've gone through Joshua, you and I, and Joshua 1 chapter 2, and, and then today, Joshua chapter 3. And the title that uh, is really a simple one today is Experiencing a Miracle. You know, if you ever just had a conversation and maybe just look at today's culture or, you know, uh, an impossible situation and said, oh, we need a miracle. Oh, we just need a miracle. Uh, I know many times a favorite uh, ball team or uh, a team that you follow, man, we just need a miracle. Uh, just something going along those lines. And certainly today's society, we just need a miracle. And we know that's the answer. But as I began to look at this, and, and I do appreciate, all kidding aside, that uh, uh, going back 11-plus years now, but actually it's 16 years when uh, Brother Ray first came to me and said, you know, I, I just uh, have you on my heart, and uh, I, I want you in, on our staff. And that's been 16 years ago. And so I guess the preliminary took five years for him to vet me. But uh, so then after that, he asked me on staff. But it is a privilege to, to be in this pulpit, and uh, as he has had it and pastors before, uh, and many of you have known. But looking at this and, and looking at Joshua chapter 3 over the, over the past, I guess, few months, really, about what it means to experience a miracle. You know, do we experience miracles on the backside? Do we say, oh, that was a miracle? And, 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 and really thank God for it on the back end. It reminded me of something I'm sure a lot of you in this room will remember. In 1980, in Lake Placid, New York, at the Winter Olympic Games, to say the United States hockey team was an underdog going into that matchup with the Soviet Union, and this was not even the gold medal game, but it was leading up to the finals, to say they were an underdog would be a major understatement. The American team was made up of mostly college students. From what I can gather, they averaged 21 years of age. While the Soviets had won six gold medals and had not lost a game in the Olympics since the 1960s. And they also were, were they really weren't amateurs. If you knew anything about the Olympics then, it was just purely amateur. But the Russian uh, hockey players, uh, miraculously, <laughs> uh, were paid full-time salaries from these factories, but they never had to show up to work. They just practiced hockey all year long. So it wasn't going to be a fair fight. And you throw in a little Cold War era of friction, and you've got a really a match that was made in sports heaven, if you'll allow me to say that this morning. You seriously couldn't make a better plot for a movie. And before the game started, no one, even the Americans, now there may have been uh, Kurt, Coach Herb Brooks, he, he may have thought we were going to beat them. But I would dare say if you would ask any of them, they'd just say, we just want to be competitive. Because it had never been done before uh, in, in, this, in this era. No one thought the American team stood a chance against the Soviet superstars. But while the Soviet team had led for most of the game, the Americans managed to score a goal and pull ahead 4-3 to three with 10 minutes left. I'm just curious, who in here remembers watching that on television? So, I mean, a few, but not a lot. 
I mean, I, and I'm not a hockey fan. You know, growing up in South Alabama, you just don't play a lot of hockey. But, uh, man, that captivated me. I, you, get, you get caught up in the emotion, but just I didn't know the rules, but I just knew you were supposed to get it into the goal. And we had to wait 10 minutes to keep them from scoring another goal. That seemed like an eternity. But the U.S. players held them off, and as time was running out, Al Michaels was about to call what has been labeled the most famous sports call in history. And they were counting down, down the time together, and the hometown crowd there in Lake Placid began to go 10, 9, and they were all doing it together. Now Michaels was caught up in it, but with just two seconds left, he said these famous words, Do you believe in miracles? Yes. And it's what he said. But only that explanation came after it was all done. Well, think about something with me for a moment. Try to remember one of the most exciting times in your life. A time that you anticipated. Matter of fact, a time that you expected. No one expected or anticipated the American team to defeat the Soviets that day. That February day in 1980. But I want you to think about a time that you have anticipated or you did anticipate and you expected to happen. It maybe had been, you know, we have a 15-year-old and he is counting down not the days to when he turns 16 because he knows exactly what time he turns 16 on that day, but he, he knows the days and the hours to when he get a driver's license. He is anticipating that. And apart from the Lord Jesus returning, he is expecting to get that driver's license to where he can have freedom. Okay, he's not here yet, so you just, just know that, that that does not spell freedom. Amen, parents? You just, it only spells ulcers for, uh, for the parents. So he's anticipating that. Or how about owning your first car? I'm not saying driving your first car. I'm talking about the bank owns that one. I'm talking about the moment you own your first car. You knew it was going to happen. You saw on the end date of when your payments would be, and you'd own that first car. Something you anticipated. Or marrying that special someone. Now, since Monica's not here, you could... That's a miracle. If you want to look at miracles, you look at our, at our marriage. You just said, that's not supposed to happen. But it did, thank God. And, you know, and her eyesight is good. To, uh, you, know, you just don't believe it, but her eyesight is really good. So those, those miracles, really, that you anticipate and you have expectations. Well, that's exactly what we find here happening in our Scripture this morning. So stand with me, if you will, and we will just read... The first four verses, and I know the guys have prepared for all the verses there in chapter 3, all 17, but just for our purposes, and we'll look through the whole chapter, but let's read the first four verses together. Here's what the Word of the Lord says. Joshua started early the next morning and left the acacia grove with all the Israelites they went as far as the Jordan and stayed there before crossing. After three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God carried by the Levitical priest, you must break camp and follow it. But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between yourselves and the Ark. Don't go near it so that you can see the way to go, for you haven't traveled this way before. 
Father, we know that is true. Father, we haven't been in the next minute, much less the next day. So, Father, I ask now that you speak. Lord, that you mute anything that has origin within me, but God, amplify everything that has its origins with the Holy Spirit. And I pray, Father, that you remind us of things we may have heard of in the past. Give us a new word for a fresh application this day, this moment. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And you fit, amen with me. Amen? Thank you. You may be seated. So what's going on here after waiting over 500 years, the Israelites, they can finally enter the promised land. What a great example. Listen, what a great example that God never gets in a hurry. You know, Tim, there's this old song that God's on time every time. He's never early. He's never late. He's an on-time God. And that's exactly what's going on here. This is exactly when it was supposed to happen, this miracle that we'll read about. But crossing the Jordan is the beginning of the fulfillment of the promise God made to Abraham in Genesis 15, 18. It says there, On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, I will give this land to your offspring from the brook of Egypt to the Euphrates River. The future boundaries of the land to be given to Abraham's seed were the river Egypt, which could either be the Nile or the Wadi El Arish, that is midway between Israel and Egypt, and the Euphrates River. This part of God's promise was probably fulfilled during the reign of Solomon. The Bible records it in 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 21. Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms from the Euphrates River to the land of the Philistines and as far as the border of Egypt. Now, when Joshua's two spies, you recall he had sent two spies in, and we, we talked about that in Joshua chapter 2. So when Joshua's two spies returned from Jericho, they were enthusiastic. They didn't say, there's no way we can beat them. They, they didn't say, they, they're paid by the so-and-so, and, -so and they, they're really not amateurs. In other words, they were excited. They were confident. They anticipated it like it was a sure thing. They knew they were about to enter the land of Canaan. Now, from a human perspective, Joshua, I believe, must have breathed a sigh of relief. Now, he knew that God had said in chapter 2, Surely the Lord has given all the land into our hands and all the inhabitants of the land, moreover, have melted away before us. Joshua knew that. God had already reassured him in chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. And Joshua, I believe, he believed what God had said. But the positive report from the two spies added a touch of reality that bolstered his faith. And it made me pause. And here's what I took from that. God knew what his servant needed. And it just reminds me that we know the truth, don't we, church? I mean, if we've been here, we've, we've heard our pastors say, and we've, we've been taught and reminded and, and, and know the truths of what's going on. But God knows our weaknesses, and God knows what we need. And so when we feel these things come against us, he sends this encouragement like he did to Joshua, the, the two spies. And though he had made it very clear that the victory was already guaranteed if they met his conditions, the Lord allowed Joshua to accumulate some military evidence, if you would, some military data 
to easier to continue to actively believe in God's promise and communicate with confidence to all the people of Israel. Now, this was Joshua's greatest test of faith was about to come. Though the Canaanites who had lived beyond Jordan appeared to be no obstacle, and they'd already had these promises, what were they facing? This raging river. And it separated them between themselves moving from the Acacia Grove to the river and Jericho. So they faced this tremendous obstacle and this raging river, if you would. Spies or no spies, listen. Spies or no spies, this problem was in many respects, I think, just as great as the one Moses faced at the Red Sea when he stood there on the shore. You see, it, 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 they had no human means to get to the other side. And listen, as we saw and talked about last time with Rahab, true faith, listen to me, true faith and godly works go hand in hand. True faith and godly works go hand in hand. So it was in the life of Joshua. He wasted no time after he had received the positive report from the spies, and he broke camp early the next morning and moved the whole company of the Israelites to the Jordan River. Now, just go with me just for a moment on this. Can you imagine what was going through the minds of all those Israelites? I mean, they're moving what, what, I've, what I've discovered some seven miles, and it, it's, it's not just a few. This is a million plus, two million by some accounts. So they're moving these seven miles to this Jordan. But, you know, they didn't call it Jordan. Do you know what the, the word Jordan means, Jordan River? Descender. So they're moving and they're saying, we're going toward the descender. And they can hear it. So from what they're going to a part that the river is wide as a football field is long. So you're talking 100 yards across. And it's not just a few feet deep. It's in flood stage. In this time of year, all the snow was melting and coming down and just and creating a current that many experts say is in excess of 10 miles an hour. And you're saying, well, that's not much. Have you ever tried to stand against megatons of water going 10 miles an hour? If so, please raise your hand. I want to see your survivor. It, it just, it's not going to happen. So most of the children of Israel who faced this present crisis were a new generation. That's something else to keep in mind. They weren't there when the Red Sea was parted. If they were, they were too young to remember because, see, those, the, their parents died in the wilderness because of their disobedience. So most of this new generation had only heard reports of what God had done. Now, just a, a little parenthesis here. Do we, are we guilty sometimes of relying on reports of what God has done instead of going back and measuring the things God has done in our own lives? That's not a confident way to go, as our pastor shared, on the journey God has called us to go on, which he's always taken us someplace new. We cannot just rely on reports. God has things new for us. His mercies are new every day. So their minds must be filled with a mixture of anticipation and fear. Would God act again? At this juncture, Joshua probably didn't know exactly how God would do it. He just 
marched on. I can almost hear him repeating verse 2 of chapter 1. Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise, cross this Jordan. Have you ever gone back to what you know God had told you in the past to keep you going in the future? And just say, you know what? God told me that. I know God told me that. I, I just, my, my knees are wanting to buckle. I, I just don't know if I can press on. It, it's just, it's never been this bad before. I don't know what I can do. And you're stuck. It's then we have to go back to the truths God has told us in the past. Listen, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, rise, cross this Jordan. On the human side, Joshua was facing the greatest test of his life. What if nothing happened? What if the people wouldn't respond? What would happen to his image? Listen, but Joshua's faith overruled his fears. Furthermore, his faith was contagious. No mask, no vaccine, no social distancing could keep the Israelites from catching the faith that Joshua led with. Church, that is a message for us today. To have a bolstered faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and the truths that are shared from Genesis to Revelation about his preexistence, his incarnation, his life, his death, his resurrection, those truths should bolster us and to say, I will have faith and let it be contagious. The Levitical priest led the way carrying the Ark of the Covenant. Covenant, by the way, it was a small box, probably about four feet long, two and a half feet wide, and about two and a half feet high. Had the, the tablets of stone that God had written on himself and other symbols of his leadership, so that's what they were carrying. Now, when the people of the camp and the ark were placed usually in the, in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle, but now it was being carried before them, and it was like the presence of God was going for them. So after waiting half a millennium, the Israelites began this journey to cross the Jordan. They've been camping for three days. Now they're getting ready to cross the river. And that brings me to the prerequisites, if you would, of experiencing a miracle. Chuck, you mean we have to do things to experience a miracle? Well, just keep this in mind, what Scripture teaches today. Let's look at verses 2 through 8 to begin with. So, consecrate according to God's precepts. What's the first prerequisite to experience a miracle? Consecrate according to God's precepts. Let's look at what the Scripture says, beginning in verse 2. After three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, carried by the Levitical priest, you must break in camp and follow it. But keep a distance, as we said earlier, of about a thousand yards between yourselves and the ark. Don't go near it, so that there you can see the way to go. For you haven't traveled this way before. Look at verse 5. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves... Because the Lord will do wonders among you tomorrow. Now, just for a moment. Pastor, I thought this past week and I read that. Was that a determining factor of God performing the miracle? Consecration. And, and, I, just, and I looked at different places and I, and I went back through different notes. And I'm just wondering, the consecration did not free God up to do what he was already going to do. 
The consecration allowed the people to see it and to experience it. Listen, Henry Blackaby said many times ago in experiencing God, God is always at work around us. It's up to us to join Him. And this consecration, according to God's precepts, was a prerequisite of experiencing the miracle that God was going to do. But just don't be left out of it. So let's look further. Verse 6. Then he said to the priest, Take the Ark of the Covenant and go on ahead of the people. So they carried the Ark of the Covenant and went ahead of them. Verse 7. The Lord spoke to Joshua. Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, so they will know that I will be with you just as I was with Moses. We'll come back and just, just remember that for a moment. Just let, I want to read that again and just let that, that, that marinate in your mind before we get to it. The Lord spoke to Joshua. He spoke directly to Joshua. Okay, you think it's ever a good idea to say exactly what God says to you? You would think yeah, it's trustworthy. Here's what God told Joshua. Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, so they will know that I will be with you just as I was with Moses. Verse 8. Command the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the water, stand in the Jordan. Now God has given his promises to the Israelites, and now it's time for a test. The Israelites must cross the Jordan. It's in flood stage, what we've talked about. And as soon as the people see the Ark of the Covenant carried by the Levites, they are to move out into position and follow the Ark. Now listen, during the wilderness wanderings, you'll recall, a cloud by day and a pillar by night were the symbols of God's presence and leading. As the Israelites cross the Jordan, from this time and forward, the ark will symbolize God's leading and his presence with the people. It is mentioned almost 16 times exactly in chapters 3 and chapter 4. The ark of the covenant was kept in the innermost room called the Holy of Holies or the Most High Place in the tabernacle. Exodus chapter 25, verse 22, God told Moses the purpose of the ark. He said this, I will meet with you there above the mercy seat between the two cherubim that are over the ark of the testimony. I will speak with you from there about all that I command you regarding the Israelites. So I will meet and I will speak. That was the purpose of the ark. So as they, as they cross the river, if you can picture it in your minds, the preeminence of the ark makes it clear this is not a military maneuver. It is an act of faith and fearless living. The ark was carried by poles placed through rings attached on each side. When the Israelites follow the ark, they are following God. The Israelites also told to keep a distance, and I found this curious until I really started digging into it, of about 2,000 cubits, or like we said, 1,000 yards, about a half a mile between them and the ark. And I began to just research, and I said, well, why? Why can't they just, you know, gather up and let's all go? Well, keep in mind, there's a lot of them. So they've got to create a distance for everybody to see what's going on. But I think on a much deeper level, this is what the Lord spoke to my heart. We should not go into an intimacy with the living God casually or carelessly. We must, we have to do it with a profound spirit of respect and reverence. Not just say, let's all gather around and sing Kumbaya and let's get across the river. No, this distance, I think, was more than just seeing and getting direction, which they did need. But it was to create that buffer zone about we need to be careful when we get and get into an intimate relationship 
with the Lord. If we follow the Lord, we will know which way to go when we come to the wise and the intersections of life. So even though Scripture says you haven't gone this way before, like we mentioned earlier, that can be said of tomorrow. That can be said of Tuesday. If we don't have to say we're in a season of life we've never been before. Whether it be true, well, we've got to live day to day. We can't just live season to season. Day to day. Tomorrow hasn't been here before. And so I need to be reminded I need to follow the Lord. Now, it says consecrate yourselves there in verse 5. The word consecrate or sanctify is kadash, and it means to make holy or hallowed. It involves spiritual purification. Here's what that means. Repentance of all sin. Not just some sin. Not just a sin that's fresh on our minds. But purification. If you've ever been to surgery before. And they just don't like clean the area that they're going to go to. I mean, it's head to toe. Especially they, they and we want to get into all the details, but it, believe me, it's, it's head to toe. And they, it's everything needs to be clean. That's the idea of purification. Everything. Repent of all sin. That is consecration in that. 1 Thessalonians 5.23, the Apostle Paul tells us the reason we should sanctify ourselves to the Lord. Here's what he says by being inspired by the, by the Holy Spirit. Paul says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your spirit, soul, and body be kept sound and blameless for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now finally, Joshua tells the priest to take the Ark of the Covenant and go ahead of the people. The priests then take the Ark and lead the Israelites and they go to the Jordan River. However, they're not told how they will cross. And if, if you're like most folks, you, need, you, you want to know the plan. I know my plan and work my plan. Plan for my work, work my plan. We all want to know those things. But however, faith does not require knowing. Now, we'll get back to that. But faith is mean trusting. So they are not told how they will cross. So this is an act of faith that is required for fearless living. The Lord then tells Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, so they will know that I am with you just as I am was with Moses. Now God verified Moses was his chosen leader by parting the Red Sea. Now he's doing the same thing for Joshua, which brings me to the second point. So now to consecrate according to God's precepts, the second prerequisite to experiencing a miracle is to concentrate on God's power. Concentrate on God's power. Now that seems really apparent but there's some hidden little traps in this that requires our attention, I believe, in verses 9 through 13. So here's the verses 9 through 13. Read along with me. Then Joshua told the Israelites, Come closer and listen to the words of the Lord your God. Now, I find it interesting at this point. Here's what he said. You will know that the living God is among you, and that he will certainly dispossess before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and the Jebusites. So did Joshua say, today you will begin to see God exalt me in your presence? 
Isn't that what God told Joshua? But that's not what Joshua told the people. He said, by this you shall know that the living God is among you. Listen, I think by right, Joshua could have repeated exactly what God said to him. But he didn't. There was no hint of pride or arrogance in him. His concern was that God be honored and glorified in what was about to happen. In other words, he was concentrating on God's power, not him being the vessel of God's power. That takes tremendous surrender. He was the leader of an entire nation. He had camped out and he knew, he had reminded himself, Moses is no longer here. You're the man. Go across the Jordan. And, he, and the two spies, man, we got it. it, it that land is ours And even though he knew the descender was in front of him, he knew the Canaanites were no problem. All he had to do was get across this, and God had already told him to do it. And so in my mind, I'm not saying this how Joshua thought, but in my mind, there's the tendency to kind of just kind of bow up a little bit and say, okay, y'all follow me. Just don't take your eyes off me. Let's go. But he'd already said, no, look at the Ark of the Covenant. Keep a distance in there. So he was concentrating on God's power. But think about the temptation that he's facing. How easy would it have been to draw attention to himself and attempt to build his own ego with not any malice, but just because of where he was. His concern was that God be honored. Whatever the opportunity to engage in a lot of self-glorification, he didn't take. God himself had spoken specifically to Joshua about the fact that he would exalt him. I'm just going to leave it up to God. I don't have to, I'm not going to do anything. If God wants to exalt me, then okay, he will. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to see God do this. He was exalting God. He was concentrating on God's power. Joshua calls the Israelites together and reassures them God will drive out the inhabitants of the promised land. Then he informs them of the Ark of the Covenant. He says, select among you uh, 12 men, the 12 tribes. And although the purpose is not revealed in this, they would probably be much closer to Joshua and the bearers of the Ark and and to assist them if they need it. Also, they're probably these same 12 men who later laid stones in the river, which you'll see in the later chapters. But finally, look at what Joshua tells his people will happen as soon as the feet of the priest carrying the Ark touch the water of the Jordan River in verse 13. When the feet of the priest who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of the earth, come to rest in Jordan's waters, its waters will be cut off. The water flowing downstream will stand up in a mass. This means the water upstream would be supernaturally dammed up. It's important to note what Joshua said here. The ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth. You know, at first glance, that seems like it sounds redundant. He's just repeating himself. But that's not the case. The second Lord here in what Scripture has translated for us is in our English version is in small case letters. It's a capital L, but small case letters. It's not like the first one that's in all caps, which signifies Jehovah. This one translates Adonai, and it means master or boss. So our great God, listen, our great God, is the Lord or master over all the earth. 
every molecule, every atom, every dust particle, everything obeys the command of His voice. Psalm 97.5 reaffirms that for us. Here's what that word says. The psalmist says, The mountains melt like wax at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the Lord of all the earth. So these prerequisites, consecrate according to God's precepts, concentrate on God's power, and finally this morning, contemplate God's promises. You know, while this river is raging there in front of them, the priests act in faith. They put their foot in the water. It immediately is dammed up. It doesn't begin to dam up. It is dammed up. That, water, that, dry, that land becomes dry. The instant their feet touch the water's edge, the water upstream stops and ceases. From all accounts, about 18 miles north of Jericho at a town called Adam. Now, the Israelites cross over the river near Jericho. Why did the water stop flowing miraculously? The people acted in fearless faith. So what does God require if we want to experience a miracle? We must obey Him with fearless faith. Listen, many Christians... Many church members, maybe many, many Ridgecrest family members, I don't know, but many believers today are waiting on God to perform a miracle in their lives all the while while God is waiting on them to get their feet wet, to respond in faith. The only thing that limits God's miracles in our lives is our faith. So where do you need a miracle this morning? If you're watching by live stream or here in person, just let your mind wander for a moment. God, I need a miracle. God, I need a miracle. How about your marriage? God, I need a miracle. How about our finances? Lord, I need a miracle. How about your education? <laughs> Talk to our son, Lord, I need a miracle. <laughs> How about work? I've got that coworker. I need a miracle. I got this another position. I need a miracle. How about the rescue of a wayward child? The breaking of a bad habit? Where do you need a miracle? Whatever it is, look with me, if you would, in Mark chapter 9, verses 19 through 24. Jesus is making a declaration here. So the question is, before we end this part of the message, where do you need a miracle? So Mark chapter 9 Let's begin in verse 17 and read through verse 24. All in the context now, I've just asked you, where do you need a miracle? What about your faith? What about your faith? What about your faith? Out of the crowd, one man answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you. He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. Wherever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to drive it out, but they couldn't. He replied to them, You unbelieving generation, how long will I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring him to me, Jesus says. So they brought him to him. When the Spirit saw him, that being Jesus, 
it immediately convulsed the boy. He fell to the ground and rolled around foaming at the mouth. Then in a panic, how long has this been going on, Jesus says. Wait, it, it doesn't really say that, does it? So Jesus is not in a panic at the circumstances that surround him. That's a good word for us. Circumstances are not causing him to panic. Look what the Lord says. How long has this been happening to him? Now, I don't, I don't mean to, to paint the picture that he just like put his hand in his pocket and said, well, how long has this been going on? I'm not saying that. He just, with a sovereign, calm voice, is asking this man this question for this man to hear the answer. How long has this been happening to him? Jesus asked his father. From childhood, he said. See, there's no exclamation there. And I went back and did the studies. This contagious demeanor, this contagious spirit, it now has this man responding, not in a panic. This is from childhood. And many times it has thrown him into fire or water to destroy him. But this man says, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Look what Jesus said. If you can, here's what he said. If I can, question mark, Listen, here's what the Lord says. Everything is possible to the one who believes. And this man has the response that you and I need to emulate every day. Immediately the father of the boy cried out, I do believe, help my unbelief. I do believe, help my unbelief. Now, not only does God, going back to our our text in Joshua. Not only does God miraculously stop the water, but the Israelites pass over on dry ground. Normally it would take days for that to happen. The dry ground totally eliminates any natural explanation for the water stopping. It should be noted that the priests carrying the ark do not immediately cross the river. I, that, that's a whole other message. Matter of fact, I, I, I heard Bill Eliff, I think when he shared with us one awesome August, he preached from this passage about staying in it. But well, just for today's purposes, they, they stood in the middle with the ark. They stood in the middle of where the river used to be. And it just, it just spoke to my mind and my heart, stay in it. You know, Rick and Bubba sometimes, Rick will say, stay in it. Don't bail out. Have faith, it's always too soon to quit. Stay in it. Stay in it. Stay in it. Our pastor challenges the staff all the time, don't coast. Just don't coast. Don't give up. Stay in it. Stay in it. That's exactly what the priests were doing. They were staying in that until the entire nation of Israel passed by and were safe on the other side. It's a wonderful example of the promise the Lord gives in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 2. Isaiah 43, verse 2 says this, I will be with you when you pass through the waters, and when you pass through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. So in the middle of it, God is there. He's just not waiting on the other side and say, y'all muddle through it. I'm here waiting for you. He's in the middle of it, of any circumstance, of any raging river in our lives. God is there right in the middle of it with us. He's not some far off existential presence. He's a personal, relational God, and he's there with us. So how could this sensational event occur? I was surprised, Pastor, when I read this past week some commentaries that gave the following account. Many of them insisted that this was no miracle since the event can be explained as a natural phenomenon. 
Now, these were not ones that hopefully you and I would have on our shelves, but they were some, some of those that would think on the left. They, they point out that on December the 8th, 1267, an earthquake caused the high banks of the Jordan. Now, first of all, I want to say, where do they read a book from 1267? I'm sure there is that, but that's got to be an old document. For well, here's what I saw in my library. In 1267, an earthquake happened. I'm, anyway, so it, this is what the book said. So in 1267, on December the 8th, an earthquake caused the high banks of the Jordan to collapse near a city, damming the river up for about 10 hours. On July 11th, 1927, okay, I can grab that one a little easier. On July 11th, 1927, another earthquake near the same location blocked the river for 21 hours. Of course, these stoppages didn't happen during the flood season, by the way. Admittedly, God could have employed... Now, I'll, listen. God could do... He can do whatever He wants to do to, to accomplish whatever He wants to accomplish. Amen? So He could have used natural causes like this and a landslide if He chose, but the timing still would have made it miraculous. But the biblical text really does not allow for such an interpretation. I mean, look at these six things real quickly. The event came to pass as directed. Chapter 3, verse 13 and 15. The timing was exact. Verse 15. The event took place when the river was at flood stage. Verse 15. And by the way, the same time of year that we're in right now, March through April. Same time of year. So that, that's perfect timing for pastor to yield to me. We wrestled there in the front row when he, he came in, but he said, okay, I think you need to preach this. I said, you doggone right I need to preach. I, I didn't say that. <laughs> Number four, the wall of water was held in place for many hours, possibly the entire day, verse 16. The soft, wet river became dry at once, verse 17. The water returned immediately as soon as the people had crossed over and the priest came out of the river, chapter 4, verse 18. This is not circumstantial. It was a miracle being experienced by people who had consecrated the glory to God's precepts. They were concentrating on God's power. And now they were contemplating, as we need to do, God's promises. Centuries later, the prophets Elijah and Elisha crossed the same river on dry ground. From 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 8. Soon thereafter, Elisha crossed back over the river on dry ground. Now, if a natural phenomenon like some of these learned men were saying is necessary to explain the Israelites crossing under Joshua, then one would have to conclude that two earthquakes occurred in quick sequence for Elijah and Elisha. Seems a bit presumptuous to me. By this great miracle, the crossing of the Jordan River at flood stage by a nation of about two million people God was glorified, Joshua was exalted, Israel was encouraged, and the Canaanites were terrorized. For Israel, the crossing of Jordan meant they were committed to a struggle against armies, chariots, and fortified cities. In other words, they weren't saying, milk and honey, we made it. No, it was just the beginning. They were also committed to walk by faith in the living God and to turn, listen to me, and to turn from walking according to the flesh. Now for us today. Here's where the rubber meets the road for us gathered here and online. For believers today, crossing the Jordan represents passing from one level of our Christian life to another. It is not a picture of a believer dying and entering heaven. For the Israelites, Canaan was hardly heaven. Pastor, I believe with all my heart. 
It is a picture of entering into spiritual warfare to claim what God has promised. This should mean, this should mean this morning, this should mean the end of a life lived by human effort and the beginning of a life of faith and obedience. Whenever you experience this raging river in your life, this raging Jordan, the Lord will be with you and He will not allow it to drown you if you are consecrating according to His precepts, if you concentrate on His power and not anything that we have conjured up. And we must always, every day, contemplate God's promises. Pray with me if you would. Father, thank you for these words that tell us about a real event. And so, Lord, now is our prayer. That God, that I know that every time your word is shared, you say it does not return void. So, Lord, I would pray that every man and every woman, every boy and every girl, both in this room and on watching live stream, God will now say, how can I return, Lord, what your word has said? God, how do I respond? So there may be some in here today that you, you connect with this absolutely true story. There's a raging river in your life. And it's tossed you back and forth because you just have not been confident that you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus. So that is my challenge and my, my, my plea with you this morning. If you are here and you do not have a relationship, you've never asked the Lord to be Master Adonai, Lord Jehovah, God of your life. Today is the day. This moment all kidding aside, God has plans for us sharing a message, and God has a plan for you being here. And if you do not know the Lord this morning, now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. And you may be here, your family may be sitting with you, and you, you may be in, have looking for a church home. What we often say here, this is not a perfect church, but it is a very good church, a family of believers that know they are sinners saved by grace. And they were walking this journey that God has allowed us to be on. We're doing it together. So if you're looking for a church home today, this may be the day that you need to say, Lord, I'm going to invest here. I'm going to stay in it. I'm going to be in it here. So whatever decision may be upon your heart and mind this morning, listen, be obedient to his call. Lord, we pray these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, look at this way just for a moment before we are dismissed. And If you're watching online and that has been a decision of yours, would you let us know by texting the word PASTOR, P-A-S-T-O-R, to 334-384-8080 and, and respond to that. We'll get back in touch with you as soon as we can and, and have some information to you. And you can do that in this room as well. 
uh, you can take that little form, next steps, and you can say, this is my decision today, and you can give that to one of the pastors, one of the ministers here. All right, you can go to our Welcome Center. You can put it in the offering baskets on your way out, but just let us know uh, how the Lord is moving your life and how we can come alongside of you in that decision. It is always an honor and a joy to share with you. And our pastor says he loves being your pastor. I love being your assistant pastor, your pinch hit preacher, your backwards brother. I don't know what it is, but uh, I just know this. I love doing it. So, Pastor, you have a closing word for us.